I invite you to take a Bible and to open it to a very brief letter in the New Testament. It's Paul's letter to Titus. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the pew, you'll find this on page 938 to 939. This is one of those letters that is short enough that we will uh, consider all of the letter today. Uh, We won't read all of it, um, but we have been going through the New Testament Uh, every letter uh, consecutively looking at the first chapter and the last chapter and this only has three chapters so every now letter that is three chapters or less we'll just consider uh, on a singular uh, Sunday but for me it's a joy to come to this passage uh, for a couple of reasons Uh, just next week I will actually not be able to be present with you all here I will Lord willing be in Serbia uh, and starting the following week teaching a class on stewardship And uh, I structured the class, Gaylord and I, when we prepared it last year, and now I'll be repeating it again this year, is to open the class on Monday by going slowly through the book of Titus uh, as an example letter of what the scriptures teach about our stewardship responsibilities before God. And so Titus is already in my mind as I'm thinking of not only uh, being here this morning, but uh, Lord willing, soon teaching this in a totally different country and in a different context. Um, But also, as many of you know, uh, on a different note, we lost Amy's father this past year, and as I was asked to do his funeral service, I went back to see what was the last sermon that he would have preached uh, at his home congregation, and the final passage that he preached before his church was from Titus. It was Titus chapter 3, and so now I can't come back to the book of Titus without also thinking about him. So we will read the chapter 1, and chapter 3 and apologize to chapter 2 for skipping it Uh, it says Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled, and they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. 
They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Chapter 3, so remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These, are, these things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. And when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to send Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good work so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. And grace be with you all. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. There's quite the contrast uh, in this passage where he ended chapter one in describing people who've allowed themselves to get into such a condition that he says they're not fit or ready for any good work. And then as he moves on to encourage uh, Titus in his leadership of the church, he says to prepare them to be ready for every good work. Uh, and it's quite a, a thing to consider and ask yourself, what, what would it be like to be in such a situation that I'm, I'm not able to be helpful and supportive of, of any good work? And on the other hand, what, what would it look like to allow God to so affect my life to be ready and available for whatever it is that he is calling me to? Uh, most times when people use the words any or every, we usually have to pause and say, I'm sure it's not you know, that extreme. And so just even this past week, I heard a really loud noise in the house followed by a, I didn't do anything. And then I, I heard a reverberation, he did everything. And I was like, I bet somewhere actually in the middle is probably the truth of those two things. Rarely is only one person uh, guilty. But here Paul is saying, uh, as he's writing to Titus, who's been left on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And so if you don't know where Crete is, it is south of uh, Greece. And uh, in the ancient world, uh, it wasn't the, the center of any significant movement. Rome is where all of the political power rested uh, in Greece and Athens where all, all of the history of the, of the empire would have been and for the Jewish people Jerusalem was the most important uh, place where they longed to go and travel and so Crete wasn't necessarily famous for anything like that but to, if you were traveling between all those places it was in the middle of it. Uh, you might have to stop over 
there uh, in route to any of the others. But part of it being an island and people feeling that uh, sense of seclusion from all those other uh, places of, of more renown and significance, uh, there was sort of a culture of the island life where, you know what, not much happens quick here on the island. You're, you're here, just relax and slow down. And eventually, uh, a, a cultural attitude uh, that Paul even quotes himself to say, you know, it, it just often happens to people here that they get lazy, they get slow, um, and they kind of think, you know, we can get away with things here, and not many people will know uh, what actually takes place. And so even then a permissiveness to all types of immorality. And this letter is written because at this place, Paul still felt convicted in his travels that the gospel was relevant for the people on this island. And there needed to be the establishment of a church of people who believed in the gospel. And that even though Paul had to keep moving on because he sensed a calling to go uh, to different places and start new work, that there had been a response to the gospel message on this island. And so somebody needed to stay behind and help see that this very young uh, new work would be allowed to mature and grow. And I submit to you that one of the, uh, the phrases that we see throughout uh, that's important in understanding not only this letter, but most of our New Testament is, again, how Paul refers to himself. He opens by saying that he is Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is willing to identify himself as someone who has surrendered ultimately to God and his purposes. And so even if this place isn't a place that would make him look better or him famous for having done something here, that's not how Paul evaluates things. He's not looking at what's in his best interest or what will lead to his glory or fame, but rather he was called to go and to bring the gospel to this place because he sees himself as a servant of God that it's his joy and privilege to do what his maker has designed for him to do. And this is also the posture that he wants uh, Titus to carry on. And then when he tells Titus to now look for other people who can do the same thing, in verse 7 he says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. And so he's saying that he, as one of the leaders in the church, is ultimately a servant of God, that that's what Titus is supposed to, that's how he's supposed to view himself. And now as Titus goes to identify other people who can lead, he's saying, now make sure that anybody who becomes an overseer actually recognizes that they're a servant. And don't encourage anybody to become a leader who doesn't view themselves as a servant. Because if you elevate people into leadership who see that their primary responsibility is now to serve their own ends or their own glory, that will lead to all kind of uh, discouragement and despair. Uh, we don't love to follow after people who we think don't care about us and what they mostly care about is just themselves. And so it, it is a call for leadership, but what is ultimately being described here is uh, the Christ-likeness of our Lord who was willing to wash his disciples' feet. And then in washing his disciples' feet, to say to them, as you go forward from here and you assume greater and greater leadership, realize you'll never be above washing the feet of other people. 
that you will always be doing well if you understand yourself to be servants of God. And if we embrace that posture about our own lives with whatever responsibility we have, then moving into chapter three where he says, now remind the whole church to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to every good work. Uh, he's, he's encouraging everybody to do what in chapter one he's specifically highlighting for those who are in positions of leadership and he includes himself in it. That every one of us, young or old, male or female, with whatever status we have, are ultimately to view ourselves as responsible to God first before we're responsible to anybody else. And from that, though we all have this posture of service, we're all also uniquely gifted, uniquely made by God. And so no one of us is supposed to try to be another uh, person that we might have seen. For me to be faithful to God, I don't have to become you. For you to be faithful to God, you don't have to try to act like me. It's you and me together trying to consider what he's calling us to do. And he asks us to do different things. And so for the Apostle Paul, obedience to God meant to keep on moving. But for Titus, obedience to God means, Titus, I need you to stay. I'm calling you to stay. We don't know what Titus thought of that. We don't know how much he liked being on the island in the environment that he was surrounded by. But though Paul knew he was someone who was sent by God to keep on moving and to travel to many different places, he was saying to Titus, God has gifted you, he's equipped you, and you have a unique responsibility to stay. And that expresses itself in a variety of ways. The chapter that we skipped over in chapter two, Paul then gives instruction to older women and younger women and older men and younger men and to masters and to slaves. And he gives to each of them different ways in which they can serve the Lord based on how God has made them and the opportunities that are in front of them. And we need to come to understand that. We have different seasons of our life that make certain aspects of service easier than another, make ourselves available more than others, but we also have unique gifts, things that we love to do. And so part of even our desire to uh, hear from as many of you as possible about your different passions and, and ways of serving other people and, and what brings you joy and how you serve other people is to recognize that. God has not given any one of us everything. No one of us has all of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. What the Holy Spirit does is he gives all of us some gifts. And then when we share them with one another, and when we share them with the world at large, it's a much richer and deeper expression of God's purpose in the world than any one of us could ever do by ourselves. And that's on purpose. God has designed us and made us uniquely gifted so that there are some things only we can do but all of us are interdependent on one another. That none of us can, can fully bear the image of God in this world apart from our relationships with one another. Which is why even in the beginning in Genesis, it says when he made them male and female, he made them in his image. So that part of the way we reflect his image is not just as individuals, but how we relate to one another. The love that can be experienced by one another, the care and the concern and the service that can happen for one another is part of how we show his image. 
And so all of us are called to be servants of God with whatever gifts we've been given. But we also are called to discern the unique ways that he has made us. And so the unique skills and insight and knowledge that we have that would enable us to serve other people. And then as he describes, again, in chapter one, specifically for leadership, in verse eight, he says that we're supposed to be hospitable and a lover of good. And so here now is that, uh, however we've been uniquely made and gifted, that we would, from the inside out, love to do the good that we can do. And again, if we only read chapter one, we'd say, okay, that's what he's saying for leaders. Except when we read chapter three, he says it multiple times that all of us are supposed to be devoted to good works. And so those who are called to leadership are not called to different things than the rest of the people. Hopefully what you identify in people that you respect and look up to is that they do those things consistently over time in a way that is commendable. But it's not that they can do things that nobody else is supposed to do. And so, yes, leaders are supposed to be lovers of good, but all of us are supposed to long to do all of the good that God has enabled us to do, to be devoted to good works, ready and eager to help. And so that's a responsibility that I hopefully take seriously in a way that if tomorrow, for some reason, I was no longer the pastor of Lakeside Christian Church, what would I be less responsible for in Titus chapter one? Am I now allowed to say, well, oh, I'm not supposed to be hospitable anymore. And oh, I'm so glad I don't have to be a lover of good anymore. And I'm so glad I don't have to be self-controlled anymore. Or, well, actually, no, all of those things are elsewhere described as expectations for all of us as Christians. That just as followers of Christ, these should be characteristics that distinguish uh, each and every one of us, that we love from the inside out to do the good that we can do with our service, and so that we could be ready for every good work. We don't know what it's going to require of us at a certain time, and we all like to know more ahead of time what's going to be expected of us, but life doesn't usually tell us ahead of time what the challenges are that are coming. And so in maintaining that posture of not here's the list of the good things you have to do, go do it, but rather being accountable to say, are we loving to do what is good and are we going to be ready to do whatever the good that is required of us? Uh, yesterday we had the opportunity to take our boys uh, for the first time to a Cleveland Guardians game. And um, our youngest is turning five tomorrow. And so my sister wanted to come up and take uh, all of her nephews to a baseball game. And so yesterday we went and they had a double header. And so I went ahead and reserved the tickets to just try to maybe think of where would be the best place to watch the game from uh, for the boys that it would hold their attention uh, longer. Uh, for me, one of the frustrating things about a baseball game is there's no clock. And so where I'm used to, like, you kind of know when something starts and you know something when it ends, and so you know, like, how big of a commitment it is you're making uh, to get through something. When you go to a baseball game, you just have to be ready for whatever comes and ready for however long it will be. And so they had a doubleheader, a one o'clock game and a seven o'clock game. 
And I was trying to think of, man, one o'clock, we risk, you know, being in like the hot sun and kind of wearing out and not sitting in the shade if we're in the bleachers. So evening, we might have better weather, but man, if the game goes late, that'll be harder to get them to see it through. And if we leave early, we have to leave early. But I like, if I, if I make the time to go, I like to try to make it through the whole thing. So I ended up getting the tickets for the one o'clock game. And I don't know how many of you paid attention to what happened yesterday. But the one o'clock game was an incredibly efficient game. It was done in three hours and we won five to one and it was like, yes, this is amazing. And so uh, we all had a good time. It still took every part of our creativity to get our kids to endure a nine inning baseball game. And so the hot dogs had to be strategically planned and the ice cream had to be planned and things like that. But the evening game into the eighth inning was five to zero. We were up. And then in the eighth inning, the Twins tied it five to five. And then it actually went into 15 innings. And we won seven to six. But then when I woke up this morning and I saw that, I was like, I am so glad we went to the one o'clock game. We would not have made it that long, but I don't know how hard we would have tried to like push to get just a little bit farther because we're a little bit closer. But so for most of the players, that was almost a triple header. They played six extra innings in the second game after they'd already played another one. Um, but anyway, that's one of those unique features of baseball that I appreciate about other sports that have a clock and say, hey, we're, we're done. And if you didn't figure it out, we can call it a tie uh, if we need to. And so here, the Apostle Paul has enough uh, wisdom to say he, even as an apostle, doesn't know all the challenges that are going to come. He's not on the island anymore. He's writing to people that are left behind. And some days are going to be short and feel efficient, and some days are going to feel long, and they drag on, and it's going to be hard to know anything that's going to happen before it does. But he's encouraging through Titus to the whole congregation that what everybody does is maintain this posture of readiness, of eagerness, to do the good that needs to be done when it needs to be done. And the main way we maintain this posture is not just by sheer will and determination, but we will be able to be lovers of good, ready to do every good work, as we continue to remind ourselves at how loved we are by the God who made us. And so we are supposed to be lovers of good because we know and have experienced the love of God for us. This is verse uh, four of chapter three. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so it's always important to qualify when we talk about doing good and right things to remember it is not by doing these good and right things that any of us become saved. And so we're not getting together to encourage one another to constantly labor and work in the hope that maybe we'll ever be good enough for God to love us. But rather, it's because God loves us and because he's lavishly poured his love upon us that now we find that we can draw from this well that never runs dry and continue to be refreshed 
to do the work that's before us. That it's as we know that we are loved by God that he then gives us the resources and the strength that we need to be lovers of good. And those two things should always go together. It should always be said that those of us who know we are loved by God through Jesus Christ, that we are people who love to do the good that we can whenever we're called upon to do it in our unique ways, according to our unique gifts and situation and season of life. But all of us prepared to be the servants of God who made us and redeemed us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word and that on this uh, island in the ancient world where so many things could happen and go on that would have a, a permissiveness to them of, uh, of, of a distance from accountability and expectation that part of the way that your gospel affected these people was to shine the light of your hope and your goodness, to give them motivation to, to pursue excellence and goodness and beauty and truth instead of being unfit for any good work, to be uh, so fully committed to you that they were ready for whatever you would call them to do, ready to serve their neighbors, ready to be hospitable to those who did not believe like they did or share their convictions, ready to give generously and not uh, reflect their culture and their constant pursuit of greed and materialism. And Father, we... We know that even in our day, we, we can't know ahead of time what this week will require of us or what the remainder of this year will require. We know that there will be challenges and difficulties. We know that there will be uh, seasons of, of joy and blessing. And we ask you to help each and every one of us to uh, recognize the grace that it is to be servants of yours. Help us to discover the ways that you have uniquely made us and gifted us and so that we would not fail to, to bring forward uh, what we can offer to one another and to the world around us. And Father, help us to do all of that out of the overflow of the love that you have for us. We thank you for pouring out your grace lavishly upon us, not because of any goodness that you observed, but out of your mercy. And so we thank you for that mercy. And as we sing about it now, again, Father, we pray that you would see into each and every one of our hearts. Help us to continue to grow and mature uh, in our love of the things that you would have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.